Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 52. This episode is sponsored by the Academic Life Faculty Development Workshops, a series of free in-person and online events that are designed for those already in or seeking to enter academic careers in STEM. The next workshop will be in person on April 22, 2023 at Boston College. If you're interested, please find the details of the workshop and the registration link in the show notes. Hi, my name is Pani Anuel. I'm a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I am also a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I'm a professor of physics and associate dean of research. Joining us today are the leaders of our sponsor, the Academic Life Faculty Development Workshops. We'll let them introduce themselves on who they are and where they're from. Hi, I'm Pamela Abshire, a professor of electrical and computer engineering and the Institute for Systems Research at the University of Maryland College Park. Hi, I'm Jennifer Blaine Christen. I'm an associate professor at Arizona State University. Hi, I'm Nicole McFarlane. I'm an associate professor at the University of Tennessee. Hi, I'm Myra Marcus Amari. I'm an assistant professor of the practice of Boston College. Hello, and I'm Steve Centuria. I'm a professor of electrical engineering emeritus from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. In this episode, we will discuss microaggressions. As a Black female physicist with a PhD, I have had my fair share of experiences with microaggressions in and outside of the academy. So let us start from the beginning. The first question is, what is microaggression and what prompted this topic? Microaggressions are actions, whether intended or not, that are hurtful to individuals. As women professionals, we encounter them all too often, ridiculously often. We'll be sharing some examples after we present our little vignette. Our team wanted to add this topic to our proposal to the National Science Foundation to support our workshop series, and we held a brainstorming session. It was Nicole who got us going. I'm a relatively tall Black woman, and in my earliest years in the academic world, people would assume I was a basketball player or maybe a basketball coach, but not an engineer. Our group talked about this and other examples of racial or gender-oriented clueless attitudes and behavior. And then, like we always seem to do, we asked Steve to collect the pieces and write up a dramatization. As we've emphasized uh, during this series of podcasts, we find dramatizations make issues come alive in a very useful way, prompting individuals to share stories. And I'm hoping this will happen here as well. That's great. You called this vignette on the receiving end. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Steve created this vignette as a pair of phone conversations, the first between two African-American women, Brianna Wilson, a newly hired assistant professor at a prestigious engineering school, and her mother, Leon Wilson, a math teacher at a public high school in a mostly white suburb. The second conversation is between Brianna and Anita Kim, a graduate school colleague of Brianna's, who is newly hired also at a different college. So who plays the different characters? There are three roles. Brianna, the African-American professor, is played by Nicole. 
Leanne, her mother, is played by Pamela, which makes a certain kind of sense since Pamela was Nicole's PhD supervisor out in the real world. Anita Kim is played by Jennifer, and I will be the narrator. Shall we begin? Yes, let's go for it. It is early evening. Brianna has just returned to her apartment after an exhausting and frustrating day on campus. She makes a cup of tea, relaxes on her sofa, and calls her mother. Hey, Mama, it's me. What's up? The usual, baby. Grading papers. How's the new job? It's strange. People here don't think I'm real. How do you mean? This guy was coming to talk to me about my proposal, and I expected I'd be taking him out for lunch. So I kind of dressed up, you know, skirts, heels. Of course, want to look good. What happened? Well, before he came, I didn't know how to do the expenses for a guest. So I went to the department headquarters to ask. And this woman, she's the accounting assistant or something, asked me who it was for. Who is your boss, she said. My boss, I said. It's for me. And then she says, and you are, with this snooty question sound, like I didn't belong there. When I said, I'm Professor Wilson, she got all fumble mouth and gave me the forms I needed. I've been trying to decide. Was it because I look young or because I'm black or because I dressed up? Oh man, my guess, sweetheart, is that it's all three. It always makes me wonder why a black woman can't be taken seriously. I get that all the time here, even now. Way back when I went to my first faculty meeting all those years ago, I got asked which sport I was coaching. Was it track or basketball? When I said that I was coaching AP Calculus, folks tried to laugh it off and they took notice. But after that, it took a long time before I became just a teacher and not a black teacher. So yeah, sports. I get that here too. I went to the gym the other day to do my cardio, so I'm in my sports top and shorts, just getting ready to start on the elliptical, and this dude, big black muscle guy, comes hitting on me. Starts with, with your height, you got to be on the basketball team, right? <laughs> At least he didn't say, with your weight, you got to be on the wrestling team. Mama, really? That's not funny. My weight is doing just fine, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, baby. Couldn't resist. You walked into that one. Go on. When I told him I didn't think faculty were allowed to play on the teams, it shut him up pretty fast, but it made me angry. Tall black woman, so therefore basketball? Why else would I be on campus? I guess I should dye my hair gray and walk stooped over with a cane. Sorry, baby. These, these things happen. Folks assume too much. How did you do with the government guy? That's what was strange. I need this grant, so I'm talking away, explaining my idea, which is really good, by the way. And he's going like, uh-huh, mm, uh-huh. Then he says, the good news is that we've gotten a boost to our program, and this means your proposal has a good shot with our panel. You mean you're going to get the money? That's awesome. Isn't that good? Of course it's good. If it's really true, but things like big boosts sound like affirmative action, like he's talking down to me. I want to be judged by my ideas. It eats at me that the only reason I'm here and the only reason I get research money is to satisfy some statistics about Blacks and women. I hear that. We still have arguments in our faculty meetings, not about whether we have enough women, that's for sure, but whether we are diverse enough, Black, Hispanic, Asian, trans, that kind of thing. 
I keep saying, why not just hire the best teachers? The worst thing, though, was when I took him to lunch, he seemed embarrassed to be seen sitting with me. You know how you get that sense, the what's wrong with this picture sense? That's his problem, not yours. He probably has a dirty mind. Oh, come on, Mama. I didn't mean that. You'd be surprised. No, I would be, really. I suspect he's just not used to thinking of somebody Black as an equal, a colleague, you know, enjoying a meal together. So let me ask, would you have gotten your job if you had been a white woman with the same background? I'd like to think so, but in all honesty, I can't be sure. And doesn't that make you feel second class all the time? <sighs> I've been doing this job long enough that I know I'm as good as anyone else around here. So I don't feel second class anymore, but I did, that's for sure. Well, I'm new at this game and I keep hearing about diversity and I wonder whether my research, my teaching, any of that gets evaluated on merit. I get the sense that people are always looking at me sideways. All I can say, baby, is do well, and eventually they'll see you as you. Hang in there. When the call ended, Brianna found a text from Anita asking her to call. Hey, Anita, it's Bree. What's up? Oh, I just had to blow off some steam. This, this man in my department, a senior guy, well, we have a committee about student projects, and they asked me to join, even though I'm new. When I came in, this guy asked if I had brought the coffee. So I say, I was supposed to bring the coffee? He says, you're not from headquarters? When I say I was asked to join the committee, he said, oh yeah, you must be the new Kim woman. Nice to meet you. Nice? Anyway, then when everyone is seated, he asked me to take notes, just like a secretary. So did you tell him you would have to go back to your office to get your crayons? That would have fixed him. I wish I'd thought of that. It would have been fun to see his reaction. I had a bleeped up day too. First, the department secretary takes me for somebody's assistant, and then this guy. Don't even know what to say. Actually, I heard that I got a big pile of diversity money. Did he mention it? He did mention the extra money, but not anything about diversity. It was my mentor who told me what it was for. He's on some panel. He knows the ropes. There's just a pot of money out there. We just got to go get it. I hope we're not competing with each other for the same pot of money. If we are, I'm going to try to win. You do that, girl. Try, I mean. And good luck. I like your attitude. Oh, uh-oh. Uh, it's the doorbell. We'll have to continue another time. Your date? Yep. One of your colleagues? Oh, you got to be kidding. Not on your life. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. The end. Wow, doesn't that all sound so familiar? Every single part of it. <laughs> so I'm sure all of us here had a lot of different ways of experiencing all of this over time. Maybe someone can start sharing some. Yeah, maybe I'll go when you were talking about the height, I'm on the opposite side, very short and small. And I was at this huge conference and this tall professor came to a bunch of, it was a women networking event that was happening uh, to support women. And this tall faculty came to bunch of fa uh, female faculty that we were talking and he uh, he talked to everybody, asked us to introduce ourselves. And then he bent it and he said, who are you working with? And 
And I was like, what? <laughs> like he was talking that he thought that I'm an undergrad or a graduate student. And he bent it all the way down. And, and again, he repeated again. And he said, who are you working with? Like he's talking to a two-year-old kid. And I was like, well, I'm working for myself. He said, no, who's your advisor? And then my colleagues, they jumped in and then they said that, well, who, who she is. So it was funny and it was sad at the same time, but, and he didn't even apologize after that. He just continued like nothing happened. I think that nearly all of us have experienced something like that. I'm sorry for you. We also had a brief conversation in one of our earlier podcasts about a microaggression that was embedded into the dialogue and the scene of the podcast, where I'm trying to recall, it was one of one of the characters with a PhD was referred to as Ms, which yes, is... Yes, this was, this was uh, as, as the author of the offending text, I was trying to capture the way people actually talk. And this was a perfectly well-intentioned senior faculty member calling a department chairman in another school, referring to a female professor and saying, how's our friend Ms. Ramirez instead of Professor Ramirez? And our little group uh, reacted to that. And I'm sure it's happened to everyone else here. It happens almost on a daily basis. For sure. I mean, it just happened to me recently on the same body of text. I was referred as Miss and my colleague was referred to as Doctor so on the same line. And it just almost assumed that a woman's name is attached with Miss, not a doctor. I don't know what we need to do to actually earn that doctor's title. Obviously, our gender was not the right fit. I've had a, an experience where I was called to be a part of a proposal, a huge proposal. And when we got to the section of the agenda where we decided who was going to do what, one of the faculty members said, okay, we're going to have Kim do the education and diversity outreach component. And I literally had to say, no, Kim Michelle Lewis will not <laughs> do the education and diversity outreach component. I want to be a part of the research efforts, the research team, the part that contributes to the scholarship and the merit of the work. And everybody was just silent, like, that's not why we called her here. We kind of had this puzzled look that they had a whole different set of intentions of asking me to be on a proposal. And I went there thinking that it was because of my research expertise and this particular area of physics that I was called to be a part of the team, but that was not their intention. We all want to apologize on the basis of our field. That's inexcusable behavior. I think the sad part of that is that these people don't know and they're not learning either. They're not improving their behavior. They might do it again next time. And unfortunately, unless someone like Kim who just sim simply say, I want you to know that I'm here for my research. I want you to recognize that I'm here for my merit of my research. They will never change unless you confront them directly and say that they will never change. I think one of the difficult things is that oftentimes people feel like they're doing the right thing and they're they're trying to improve things by asking individuals to be on these diversity committees. 
rather than research because they say, oh, now we're contributing to diversity. I I had a a really interesting uh, conversation. I'm on the personnel committee, so I talked to all the uh, faculty candidates. And I sat down to lunch with one of our faculty candidates, who is a woman, and asked her, so how many people asked you about whether you needed to know about the schools, whether you needed to know about daycare? And it's oftentimes things like this where people think that they're being helpful, but these are really microaggressions and people just don't realize under the guise of being helpful to these women. I want also to put the elephant on the room regarding classes that we're not talking because students somehow see when they have a female professor, they think and they want to act as their mothers. So if we hold the same standards that others, okay, we are being mean. We are being mean to them. And I don't know if you already know or saw, but there are research saying that in course evaluations, okay, same course, same syllabus, women are in a different standard than men. So they think that we have to agree uh, somehow to be a lot more flexible than male professors. And if you are not, we are mean. Oh, you are being mean to me. And uh, they have to understand that we are professors. We are not their mothers, okay? So we are there to help them, to teach them. But we don't have, you know, to bend the rules for each one of them the way that they are expecting. And many times they don't get that. And they come to course evaluations and knock us down many times. This happens a lot. Early on in my career, I often had the sense that I was being viewed as a camp counselor. (laughs) But I can give you some hope that over the years, things have gotten better. And I'd like to share one of my personal mantras, which it's kind of a joke. It's kind of not a joke. And it's also something that cuts through a lot of this type of behavior. If I just say pretty flatly to someone, I'm a lot older and meaner than I look. We heard all these examples. It's really unfortunate that we all have stories like that. But what can we do about it as the receiving end of these microaggressions? Well, as someone who has committed my own share of them in the course of my many years of active work, I think polite confrontation is possibly the best response. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. It depends on the situation. They might have come back and then say, you're overthinking it. They think that we're oversensitive. They didn't mean to be come out like that. They would have said that if you were a man, we would have done the same thing. So there are certain things that they immediately dismiss you. <laughs> oh, um, I, I agree that that can happen. But you have to be prepared to press your case politely, but what you've done in the process is put a needle in that person's brain. And if that person gets repeated needles, they may catch on. But I think that it's really hard. Most of the time, this situation, it's like a shock. Like you don't know how to respond. It's like after that, 
you say, oh, I should have said that. I should have done that, but it's too late. <laughs> in that situation, at least I don't know how many times it happens to us. It's always hard to respond right away. I don't know, maybe some people, they are better at doing that. But most of us, at least when Kim, Lucy and I, we, we talk about it, it's always after the fact. And we coach each other, next time we are going to do this. <laughs> and I don't know, hopefully it doesn't happen that there wouldn't be any another next time. <laughs> Give yourself some grace. It's hard to respond in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's hard to respond to aggression. And you have to just know that you'll do better next time. Actually, I'd like to ask the group in the vignette, part of the issue that I raised was about the dress that the young woman wore that day and how it was misinterpreted by the administrator in the office. And I was wondering, do any of you have incidents in which clothing played a big role in how you were treated. I literally had the, I'm, I was laughing because I literally had the opposite experience because I wasn't wearing a dress. I know many colleagues, they got, when they get their course evaluations, they had a lot of comments about how they dressed up from the students. So that's uh, from the students, I guess I, they expect you to dress up and they expect you to be like, I don't know, a fashion icon going teaching, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. Well, what we do ever be enough fight microaggressions? What are your thoughts? And I think that we'll take like, we'll see differences in the future, like with our kids. I hope that we'll see that they will have a different behavior because these behaviors are inherently permanent in with some people, okay? So even though they may be aware or they're not aware, or they don't care, okay, I hope that our kids are being raised in a different way, and that they will treat people in a different way. Older guys, you know, older generations in general, I think that they have a very hard time changing. You may call them out, they will not realize, and they will say, are oh, you are being, again, too sensitive, or something like that, because they don't see the problem. Okay, they don't see the problem. So I hope that we are doing a good job with our future generations, because I think that we'll see some change more concretely. I don't know, maybe in the next 10 years, but it will take time. I think that things are getting better over time. I know we like to say that, we like to think that, but I think that things are slowly getting better. I, I was gonna relate that on the day of my PhD proposal exam, when I had to present my PhD topic to the department, one of the senior male, I should say faculty in the department, came up to me earlier in the day and said, go home and put on a dress. I don't think that kind of behavior would be tolerated today. And of course, we've heard stories from Myra in our various sessions about the cultural interactions she's had in going from country to country. Let me tell you a little bit about that. I was born in Brazil, but I lived for 12 years in Chile. So cultures are different, okay? So I was used to work in industry and in Brazil, you have to be, how do I say to you? Nails have to be done every week, okay? Full makeup every day. So in Brazil, it exists something that is called makeup for the gym, okay? So you can go to the gym and the makeup will not melt because people use makeup to go to the gym. So you, you need to be fully prepared like you are going to a marriage park why we are going to work. Okay, so this was, and also like suits, dresses, high heels, everything like that. So I moved to Chile 
Okay, uh, I decided to go back to study and to do my master's and my PhD. So I arrived at, at the University of Chile with what I was using, okay? Heels, you know, dresses, business attire, makeup. Nobody talked with me, nobody. I was an alien, okay? I was having classes, nobody approached me. I tried to talk with people. They were kind of scared of me. Then with time, I started, you know, like I said, this is not how things work here. And I realized that I was wearing stuff that was too different from all the other people there, professors, students, everyone. So basically, I have to redo all my wardrobe and I stopped wearing makeup and high heels. And I have to tell you that I never went back to that. <laughs> but after I narrowed down, I got down with the clothes and also with makeup and things like that. Then I started making friends and talking with people. People had approached me. And I realized that they think that somebody, when are, people are well-dressed and use makeup or something like that, they just think that in the engineering area, okay, because I was in engineering school, they just assume that you are dumb like legal blonde dump, you know, like this kind of stereotype that, oh, okay, so you're here just to show up and not do anything. You don't know anything. So I had to change myself because to fit there, I was not being accepted. This what I'm talking to you is not something that happened like in two weeks, okay? This was a process for me to understand, you know? It was something like three, four months for me to realize that. I said, no, people will accept the way that I am, you know, until I said, no way, they will not accept me the way that I, that I dress up. So let's change that. May I make one, one final comment? Okay, this is not based on statistics or anything. It's based on the statistics of interacting with a bunch of people over a long time. I believe that there's about 15% of the people out there in the world who are born allies, and they just know intrinsically what to do and will always do the right thing to support you and will never, ever commit a microaggression. I believe that there are about 15% of the people who will intentionally commit microaggressions and you should stay as far away from them as possible. The rest of the people are somewhere in the middle. I put myself in that group in the middle and we just need a little bit of help. Sometimes we'll say the wrong thing or make a flub or do the wrong thing, but by being that person who stands up and gently make a, makes a suggestion and doesn't embarrass the person and doesn't get hostile about it, you can help us make a lot of progress in the world. Well, I would like to thank our guests for raising awareness about microaggressions. Thank you so much for coming to the show. We've enjoyed it. If you have any comments, thoughts, please write to us and let us know. If you attend the workshop in Boston College on April 22nd, 2023 in person, you'll be able to participate in this discussion and share your thoughts and experiences. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.